I'm Peter Sloot. I'm at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, I hold a chair in Complex Adaptive Systems, which is the study of you know how things are intertwined and how to unravel those. Um, and so uh, that's what I do at the University of Amsterdam. Um, and I'm very much uh, looking for new ways to do interdisciplinary research. I think that's the, the bottom line. So first of all, tell us what natural information processing is. Well, the, the, the idea now is that, you know, when we look at natural systems, be it a physical or biological or ecological system, um, it's, it's very hard to describe what's going on because everything is intertwined with everything. And so people have been trying to model that using all kinds of computational uh, technologies. And the way we look at it is basically model it, trying to understand it in the way nature processes information, just like your brains or, you know, your, your neurons somehow, you know, are processing, processing the information that we are, you know, sharing now here over this podcast. Um, so it is that, it is that, it is actually using information and information theory, if you like, as a paradigm to understand how things are intertwined and, and to unravel them if possible. Tell us a little bit about how you feel, kind of broadly speaking, we can apply the tools of complexity science to mental health. Yeah, so when, when, you, when you talk about mental health, I think the way I like to look at it is um, as, as like a, almost like an ecosystem, if you like. You know, where all these different aspects together play a role and the ecosystem can be healthy or it can be, you know, not healthy. And, and figuring out what is actually driving the, the health of that ecosystem requires a deeper understanding of how things are linked together. You know, in terms of ecosystem, again, it would be, you know, how um, the fauna and the flora are interacting with each other uh, all the way down to the little uh, elements of that. And, it, and, and it's something like that, you know, understanding how that health actually pans out can only come about by looking at the bigger picture and not just only at the, at the little elements underneath it. So it is like, you know, when you want to understand how, why a certain ecosystem is falling apart, just looking at one little component of that might actually, you might miss what you're looking for. And that's what complexity science is about. It is, it is about the moment you, you know, tear the things apart, look at the elements, you actually lose what you're looking for because the, 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 the what it's doing, it's doing in, um, uh, in kind of a concert with all these aspects that add up to the complex system. And so that goes also for, um, for mental health. It's, 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 uh, it's physiological in terms of, you know, what's happening in your body. Um, it's, 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 um, what's happening in your brain. That's, you know, it's, it's both chemical, biochemical, whatever you like, neurological, but then it's also, it's also social and, and it's also environmental. And I think particularly when we talk about urban mental health, this environmental aspect uh, is, I think, the, the new, if you like, angle that we want to take in this, um, in, in this field. So that is how does the, if you consider it again as a complex intertwined system, how does that environment add up and play a role in, in, the, in the mental health of people? And just looking only at the environment is not enough. Uh, looking only at um, you know the, the the sociological constructs is not enough. You really have to look at the whole thing. And I think that's where complexity science comes in, because we have tools, uh, have been developing tools in the field for the last uh, thirty years, um, unraveling, if you like, the the way things are interacting with each other. 
And so tools are, uh, just to mention a few to give you a flavor, you know, things like um, uh, complex networks where we describe phenomena in terms of um, how they're linked together and uh, how they built up this topological structure of a, of a network, if you like. Um, and and the, the feeling now in, in mental disorders and mental health, if you like, is very much that it's more like... Um, network of symptoms than a disease where you can really put your finger on right so it is and and that's very much resonates with the concept of complexity right because like i was saying if you want to understand the dynamics of a complex system pulling it apart in its elements you actually lose what you're looking for and and so that resonates very much with this idea that mental health is driven by uh, or is this best described, that's the way I should say it, is best described by um, uh, a network of symptoms. So, so yeah, and we have those tools. We have tools to analyze those networks, to understand what they mean, and to figure out um, what would happen if you do an intervention in it. Just imagine you have a social network, you take out one individual, how would that ripple effect go through the network? Um, uh, whether it's about social or whether it's about, uh, it could also be networks in you know your, in your brain, like neural networks, or it could be your um, gene regulatory networks. All those things somehow are intertwined, and figuring out what the consequences of an intervention is, uh, what we're what we're trying to do. My reflection is that out there in the real world, what happens is that people are very siloed still in their schools of thought. So you have people who say, yes, of course, mental health has a big biological component. And then you have other people who say, well, actually, no, there is no genetic um, issue here. It's all about trauma. And actually, disorders don't exist. Um, and they're all made up by <laughs> drug companies. Um, so I suppose I'm interested in how you think we can reconcile the current state of affairs and the quite extreme kind of battles that take place in academia with this new approach, which is very much focusing around multidisciplinary partnership working. So talk us a bit through how we can connect more, how people can work together more, and particularly, you know, the natural sciences and the psychological sciences, as you're saying, how can we encourage that kind of joint working? Yeah, this is, this is an excellent uh, remark. Um, and I think for for mental health at large and urban mental health, um, but but also for any, I would say, description of disease or health, um, having this multidisciplinary angle is is, is crucial. And and it's it's been proving, you know, I've been um, for the last I don't know, I hardly dare to say for the last forty years, <laughs> this has been my battle basically to to see how I can connect these disciplines together. And I can tell you endless anecdotes about that, you know, where these things fail and how, how often I have hit my head against uh, different walls. Um, sometimes the walls that I put up myself. <laughs> but um, so, so this is indeed the, the, um, the challenge to bring together. And so the thing is, um, so if you, if, you, if you put together on the table a, a theoretical physicist with... Um, let's say a psychologist, nothing much is going to happen unless you give them uh, two things, the same problem and the same language. And um, 
And so the same problem in case of our mental health is already a challenge because what is the actual problem we're talking about? Very much depends on through which lens you're looking. Um, but we can agree on, on that at some point. Uh, we could ask very specific questions saying, okay, how would, for instance, the noise that is produced by cities uh, play a role in, uh, in well-being or something like that? You know, you can, you, you can try to narrow down the actual research question together. That, that will work out. But then the same language. That's the real hard part. And so, um, and so even with, within psychology, you know, the psychology, some psychologists have this very much frequentist kind of description, right? You know, the, 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 the more statistical way of looking at things. And others have more, have more the N is one kind of description saying, okay, I have this particular patient and, you know, this happens this. And why are you talking about N patients? And so even within one discipline, you see this um, divide. And um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about how, uh, how to bring these things together in different ways. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we have a, a, solu a, a, a one solution for that. We have, a, I would say, a suite of solutions for that uh, or approaches, maybe a better word. And, and one is this, this, this notion of, um, of, of the language that is basically the computation, sorry, the, the complexity science uh, language. Because it describes how, you know, elements are interacting with each other. What is the cause of, what is the, you know, what is causing something and how can we measure the, the, the causal relation between things? But it's very generic, right? So I can use complexity science to describe an ecosystem, but I can also describe it, uh, can use it to describe, for instance, the spreading of HIV. Or I can use it um, to, to describe why we see uh, school segregation. Just, you know, just to name a few, that are completely, they seem to be completely disconnected, but they are not. In terms of the methodology, they are not so much disconnected. So once you get people around the table with enough open mind to be, to, to be willing to um, absorb, if you like, the, the basic concepts of that language that I'm talking about, then then you can have a, uh, a theoretical physicist sitting together to a historian and uh, somehow together make sense. Um, but there is a risk with that, of course. You know, sometimes you make things too, you have to make things too limited or too simple. I don't know, you have to simplify or you have to rephrase it in a, in a way that might not completely do justice to what you're talking about. So it's an iterative process, but it starts with one being clear about what is the question we're trying to answer. And, and remarkably enough, that's, that's, that's a step that you really have to make, where you would say, you know, the, it's almost intuitive that we do that, but sometimes we don't. So getting exactly clear what is it I want to know is already something. And then once you have done that, you know, absorb this, this language of, of complexity science um, in a way that it makes sense and it allows you to use the tools that are that have been developed for complexity science. So what's the role of the person with lived experience of mental health problems in that process? Because it strikes me that if, if you're struggling to find common ground and to, to understand truly the questions that are important, then you need to ask the patients. Um, you know, because there's so many research questions that actually just stay on shelves when they get answered because they're not actually relevant to practice. But also the language issue. 
Because it strikes me again that if you're co-producing this kind of research with people with lived experience, then surely that makes language, you know, publicly accessible, if that makes sense. So how does that fit in with complexity science? Are you co-producing it? That's, that's a very good question. Um, so uh, let me briefly take you through how we do that, very briefly, because so, um, you're absolutely right. We, we should safeguard the, the fact that that it's about those individuals that we're actually talking about, right? So we need to make them part of the process. And I think that's where things quite often went wrong, where we have a kind of this academic view of things and, you know, somewhere down deep down there, yeah, there is a patient somewhere. That doesn't work, obviously. Particularly not when we talk about mental issues. Um, the individuals have their own vocabulary and um, and that's that's crucial to understand you know, what they mean when they say a certain thing and how that would, you know, you know, how would that fit within your concepts of that particular aspect. And of course, that's why we have, that's why we have psychiatrists, right? That's, they, they, they need to make that trans- translation. But the point is, things are lost in translation, right? So, so when you only listen to the psychiatrist, you might miss elements of what's actually, you know, beyond that, that's coming from the patient. So what we do is... Um, uh, particularly in complexity science at large, is we, we actually start with all the stakeholders, including the patients. So think of it like a round table where you have uh, health workers, you have psychologists, psychiatrists, you have the patients, um, and you have you know people like myself in the more trying to do the modeling and, and, and the complexity aspects. You sit around the table, you, you, you put that big question on the table that we were talking about, and you say, okay, you know, what is it you think you know, that adds up to this particular aspect of the disease, for instance? And you get that input from all those people, and then you ask a second question, you say, whom else should I ask, right? So might have, I might have missed someone. Um, and that at some point, as we have learned, that at some point that converges. So at some point, you don't need to add more people to, uh, you know, to, to have all these different uh, angles, if you like, on the, on, the, on the problem. And that is the starting point of trying to you know, uh, use the, 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 the tools that we have to quantify, if you like, or even qualify um, the cause and effect that, that are underneath um, this very much integrated uh, network of symptoms. So it is you're absolutely right. We need... And, and so it's a co-creation. It's a co-creation between uh, every stakeholder that play. And that could even be, you know, the policy or it could even be, you know, the guy responsible for where the money goes or whatever. So you need to have, it has to be inclusive. Why should people come along to this conference? And what are you personally hoping to get from it? I think people should come because they will be surprised. They will be surprised by the completely new way we look at this, um, these, these serious uh, disorders that, that are out, and, and also the increase that we see and, and deeper understanding of why these are happening and how everyone can contribute to that. I think that's uh, why people should come to the conference. What, what do you hope to take from the conference yourself? As always, new ideas, new uh, and talking to people and at the, you know, of course, people that prepare their talks, etc., and that's you know quite often uh, quite smooth. But it is the coffee talks. It is you know when you stand together at, uh, at the coffee bar, and, and and then you get these other stories, and and these are the ones that I'm really looking forward to. 